Hey guys, it's Amanda. Um, this is going to be my first of many stories of my healing. Um, before you listen to this, I will say that there are um, a lot of trigger words. Um, but this is my story. Um, I was born July 25th, 1979 at 8.17 p.m. to my mother, Carrie, who was 16 at the time, and my father, John, who was 23. My parents, as you can see, were not in any shape to have a child, but life happens, I guess, and here I am. I've always been told that my mother was a whore and a horrible person, and that when I was two, my father took custody of me because she would leave me at random houses for full weekends with one diaper, and I would be covered in, well shit and everything else after I was picked up a few days later. I was told that she would go to bars and leave me in car seats sitting on pool tables while she got drunk. The stories can go on for days. Needless to say, my whole life has consisted of these stories to the point that I was no longer speaking to my mother. I actually had her arrested in 2018, but that's another story. As far as I can remember, I've always been the bad child, the liar, the black sheep, the family alcoholic, the one always grabbing for attention. It's nothing I could ever do was right, nothing I said was right, who I talked to, hung out with, sports I played, anything that took away my attention from my home caused an issue. I cannot remember when my abuse started, but looking at photos, I would say around the age of five or six. I remember living in Ritman, Ohio in a little blue house. I remember nightly, my dad, my stepmom would have people over, play music, drink, you know, their Paps Blue Ribbon, get high, play foosball. It was, you know, a normal thing every day. Drinking coffee, it's a little spicy this morning. When I say spicy, that means hot. Um, So they would, you know, their friends would hang out, you know, all that stuff. I remember getting sips of dad's cold drink, and I remember always falling asleep to super loud music. Leonard Skinner, Van Halen, you know, adult, you know, 80s parent music. Um... I always remember getting yelled at for everyone else's fuck up, but it was life, I thought. You know, I was the child that lived at home because my mother didn't want her. My brother and sister, who um, had a different mom, only visited on the weekends. Sorry, I'm trying to do all this with, you know, this is like my third podcast, so... (laughs) Just bear with me if you're already this far. Thank you for staying. Um, But like I said, I was around five or six that I can remember. Um, There were photos of when I would leave to go with my mom um, and I'd come home and it would always be my dad pinching my butt or hugging me or whatever, like so excited that I was home. Um, we moved to Barberton, which is in Ohio, if you don't know where that is. It's close to Akron. A lot of people know Akron. In 1988, I was eight, and then life really got fun. My dad started drinking more and more and doing drugs. Him and my stepmom would fight every night. 
um, because he wouldn't come home from work or he'd always be drunk. Um, I was told that he had done, was doing cocaine for a while to the point that we had almost lost our house a few times. Um, but he, you know, we would, I would be drug out driving every night. I'd have to drive around with her, drag him out of bars and they'd go home and fight. And then after fighting, dad would tuck me in. I never understood the pattern until now as I'm writing this and tying this all together. Dad would not come home from work. We would run all over, you know, all over Ohio finding him. Him and my stepmom would fight. Then miraculously, she would fall asleep and it was time to tuck me in, which would last at least 30 minutes each time. My school life was a mess. I was bullied to the point that I was lying, stealing from my parents, running away, and lashing out even more, which caused even more tuck-ins. But then after, there were the beatings. See, my bully at school was a black girl. All my friends in school were black girls, black boys. And that wasn't right for a white girl to be friends with black kids. So when my father would find out, my tuck-ins would be more severe. And then the beatings would start. The more I lashed out, the more worse the two got. And the hitting was double once my stepmom, because I would get it from my stepmom and then from my father. I had been kicked through a glass door, punched in the face because I was talking to a black guy. Um... That is another story. Um, The police actually let me go home with my parents on that one because they said I did it to myself. Yet the black boy was asked to leave. I had to drop my underwear every time I came home from school or somewhere where I was not with them. I uh, I was not allowed to have sleepovers, only my sister who visited for a while And then that stopped because I think her mom caught on to what was going on and she could only protect her daughter. I mean, you do what you can. Those were my vacations, as I called them, when my sister would come over and my brother because on vacations, nothing happened to me. I was so angry at my sister, jealous and full of rage, And I realized it was all because I wanted to be her. I wanted her life, a life of no abuse, no hitting, yelling. When her and my brother were there, we were the perfect family. You know, the one from outside, you know, looks sparkly and like they have it all together. But in reality, it's everyone's worst nightmare. I remember fun vacations and Mondays at my stepmom's mom's doing laundry. I remember cookouts. They were my favorite. I got to see all my family and it was like everything was okay. It is probably why I am like the barbecue queen, according to my friends, and I love having cookouts. I love having a house full of people, and I love feeding them. My husband does not touch the grill unless I ask him to turn it on. That is just something that I, it has always been my thing. My thing is cooking and making food for people and just because I mean at the end of the day who doesn't love food um all summer being outside and free was great but no matter how many cookouts vacations we took I was dying inside 
I became addicted to NyQuil and lesbian porn. I could not watch a man naked or have sex. It was so bad I had a routine of how I went to bed at night, and that consisted of those things. I was told daily I was bipolar and crazy, that I would never amount to anything or be anything when I got older. I was allowed to go at times to spend the night with my real mom and other siblings. But when I was over there, apparently I would write letters to myself telling myself everything was going to be okay and I would hide them under my bed. At my ta- at the time, my I had siblings from my mom's side. My seven-year-old sister had found them and told my grandma, who in turn filed for custody from me from my father. I remember standing in my neighbor's driveway with my dad, my stepmom, my aunt, and my grandma, who has now passed, and feeling like no, not one person believed me. Later on, I found out that my aunt and my grandmother did believe me, but my dad and my stepmom did everything in their power to keep them out of my life, to the point that when my grandmother passed away last year, my stepmom and my dad still complained that my grandma was never around and all this, and but they were around for everybody else. But I come to find out they weren't around because they had a lot of questions and they kept trying to take me and get me away from my father to the point that I found out that four different family members had filed for custody to get me from my father, but the system never made me go. <laughs> oh, it's crazy, the things... <laughs> Um, <laughs> I remember being told I was going to live with my mom and that's all I had ever wanted. I thought life would be better and I was safe. Turns out when your parents fight, they only care about hurting each other and not setting kids up for success. I was allowed to do whatever I want. No rules. Be free. To a kid, that's cool. <laughs> you have no rules. You can do whatever you want. Your mom's buying you cigarettes. She's getting you alcohol. Woohoo! You know? <laughs> To a kid, that's cool, but once you realize you have no one that gives a damn and wants and just wants to be the cool mom, it does not give you any structure for when you grow up and have to live your own life. I started drinking even more. I'd been drinking for a long time, but it was moderated from them. You know, you now have your friends come over, you can just drink and no one leaves. So my stepmom was all for, oh, you know, we were the drinking house, the partying house. She just collected everyone's keys. Well, at the time... I mean, I'm now 41. This was, you know, 15, 16 years old. This was normal. I was the cool kid at school because my parents let me drink. Little did they know that the price I paid dearly for being cool. I was allowed to have friends over. I was allowed to have, you know, drinking parties and all this. But I had to pay for it one way or the other. And I didn't have no money, so you can figure that out. Living with my mom had no rules, no curfew, nothing, and I did what I wanted when I wanted. I drank, I slept around, I had no cares, morals, nothing at all. The more I didn't care, the less I felt the shame, hurt, embarrassment, and the pain. I became an asshole, and I don't mean, oh, she's, she's being mean. I was ruthless. I beat up people for other people. I stole for people. I was everyone's go-to. I didn't care what people said about me or what I said to them. I never had real close friends. And I still, to this day, don't have friends that I talk to on a daily life. 
I would meet people in chat rooms, insane clown posse chat rooms, a lot of them. I even ran a few. Um, and I would drive to different states, not a care in the world, just to meet them. I chased bands around, lost cars, money, and so much more along the way. I was sent back to my dad's when I was 16 because I had gotten so out of control. My mom and grandma had the police pick me up and take me to Dan Street and put me in a holding cell for eight hours. That sucked. And I've never been back to jail or a cell since, but it didn't change who I had become. This numb alcoholic who had nothing to lose in this world and not a care to go with it. Yes, I was 16 years old. The abuse did not start again right away. But I remember one night I was sitting there with my dad and stepmom and her and I had already had a huge fight that day because I refused to drop my pants. She called me a bitch and a whore. Well, she went to heat up leftover spaghetti, I remember, because she said, while I warm this up, how about you warm up her ass? I got beat in the bathtub so bad I had a panic attack and was told to shut up or I will get more. Found out my panic attacks were actually AFib, which I now... Which I've now had, I've had to have um, ablation, ablation surgery for after the doctors had stopped my heart twice to reset it because it was racing at 280 BPMs. I remember having to kneel on dry rice, eat alum, and even locked in the basement. You can still see where I took a monkey wrench to the door to get out. It didn't work. <laughs> Dead bolts are a thing. I hated being around my parents, but I never left. I didn't know what to do. This is all I'd ever known. And no one believed me at this point, and I was the family joke. All everyone knew about me was all the sinful things I had done. By the time I had my daughter, who is now 18, I had had two abortions. My stepmom said that was the only way, and no one would want me with a kid. When I got pregnant with Jaden, she tried the same thing, and I refused. Then they went on to say that they would have nothing to do with her or me once she was born. While I was six months pregnant, I was kicked out of their home for arguing with my stepmom and was told I was worthless and a piece of shit. And since I would not do what they asked, I was kicked out. This was also about eight, nine o'clock at night and I had no car, no nothing. So I walked to my grandma's. When Jana was two and before I had my son, who is now 15, I was at my parents again and found pictures on my dad's phone that he had taken up my skirt while I had no clue. Yes, I still kept them in my life. Having Jaden did help me grow up some, but by the time I was 17, I was a full-blown alcoholic, so having her died it down some, but it did not last long. My parents were still verbally and emotionally abusive. I took care of my daughter and worked, but I drank a lot and heard so much about it. My drinking died down some when I had my son, but after mine and their and his dad's separation, a year later, my life spiraled out of control. I married my high school friend thinking we could run away from here and start a new, new life. Guess that problems follow you no matter where you go. My first marriage under, ended over adultery, and we both agreed that this was not meant to be, and we went our separate ways to so no hard feelings. He was a soldier in the army. So I helped him clear housing, and we went on our separate ways. He now owns a successful lawn business with his wife and his son um, in Las Vegas. My second marriage was one that not only knocked me into reality, but also world-changing for me, my daughter, and my son. 
My second husband was a breed of his own. When we first met, we were both still married and living next to each other in Fort Stewart, Georgia. Our relationship started with a gallon of Jaeger and a pump. Yes, they make pumps for Jaeger. And ended with him in Fort Leavenworth prison for five years. By this time in my life, I had become such a people pleaser that I was a complete doormat, and he took that and ran with it. We fought a lot, physically, mentally, emotionally, you name it. At one point, I had taken a metal rake to try to beat him with it into his car. I had punched him in the face. He had hit me back. I had called my parents because, again, I didn't know what to do, and I was told, well, this is what you get. We're not coming to save you. He was jealous of my kids and how close we were, and he hated it and started lashing out at them. Until he was in prison, I had no clue to the extent of how bad it was due to his threats to the kids and what he would do to them and me. I drank more. We fought, and the kids hated it, but I was stuck. My family hadn't abandoned me. By this time, we were in... I believe we were still in... We had made it to California. So, I'm from Ohio. He was from California. I had no family. My family had abandoned me, but had helped others to get my kids from me. When I needed them and I had nowhere to go, I was stuck in a cycle of alcohol abuse and not being there for my kids. When my daughter told her friends what had happened and I found out my world was crushed, my ex-husband had raped and abused my daughter over and over again, while I was in the hospital having heart surgery and while he had convinced me that I had spiraled out of control and needed to go to rehab. So I went for my children. Little did I know that he took this time to rock my daughter's world. When my daughter told her friends what happened and I found out my world was crushed, I was okay with myself being abused, but not my baby. She was abused in the worst way possible. He took her innocence and mine, and her rela- and our relationship was broken. I reached out to my family and was told, basically, send them to us. You can handle this. I ended up losing my children for almost two years to foster homes and then living with my son's dad's parents, having to rebuild myself for them to come home. I had felt like I lost it all when they were taken, but I kept drinking due to being told I would never have them back. The caseworker in California told me that this was all my fault, that I was not able to protect them or keep them safe, even though at the times that these incidents happened, I was either having surgery to save my life or trying to do what was right for my children because I was told that I was a waste. I kept drinking. To this day, I am still daily rebuilding my relationship with my daughter, and it is the hardest thing that I have ever had to do. I was stuck in California, no way out, until I was able to get a plane ticket out of Ohio, which was paid for my daughter's dad, who wanted me to come home, who my parents still talk talk crap about because he is Mexican. I think it was because he was the only one 
who even though my son is not his and he has never met my son and he has been in Mexico most of my daughter's life, still helped me. That to this day, that even though he has a wife who is amazing and a new baby, that if we needed them, they would be there. He is not, he is in my daughter's life, but he is not. And it makes it super hard for her to understand what is going on. Once I came back to Ohio, I went back into my same routine of being abused verbally and emotionally by my parents. I was still drinking and not taking responsibility because in my mind, my life was over. My kids were never coming back and my parents were still influencing my every decision. Yes, I was 37 years old. I was the family joke and outcast, the one who let her kids be abused is what I was told because you drink, you let this happen. There were things I was told all the time by my stepmom and dad. They were all for my ex going to jail for what he did to my daughter, but not for what my dad, what he did to me or my son. My father never went to jail, has never s- paid for what he has done. He has admitted to me what he has done, and he has apologized. But my stepmother to this day still thinks and still tells people that it's all in my head even though my father has flat out looked at her and told her. I was lost and thought I had no way to fix anything. Even taking classes online that were court-ordered to get my kids back seemed hopeless, especially when you're being feel, still being fed lies and alcohol. My parents would still give me alcohol. They would buy me little things of alcohol and and tell people, look at her. She's still drinking. Look what she's doing. If you are an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic or drink, you know that there's a point that if there's alcohol in front of you, you're going to drink it. It's, and people know this, they're called enablers. And that's what my parents were. Keep me drunk, keep me dependent on them. And they can control everything I did. In 2017, I met my now husband. At first, it was just a hookup. I didn't want a relationship. For me, they're never for me they never seemed to end well. So I had voted to be single and just go on the occasional date here and there. I was okay with being alone forever. I mean, obviously, I was damaged and it was my fault. Little did I know, my life my life was about to completely change. Like all new relationships, there is the surprise period as I like to call it, the time where all the realness of someone comes out, the mask comes off. Well, Tad, which is my husband, scared the hell out of me and I ran. I blocked, ran, stopped talking to him. I completely freaked out and had no clue what to do. What happened? Well, he sent me a picture of him and a stuffed cat that his two little girls had given him I didn't know at the time, in a Bible, and the caption said, me and Kitty reading. I fucking freaked out and cut him out of my life completely. Was it because it was a strange photo? No. Have you seen mine? (laughs) Was it the stuffed cat? Nope. I I still sleep with a stuffed walrus. Can you guess? Yep. It was the Bible. I took one look at that bad boy, and I ran. Not because I was scared of the Bible, 
But because my whole life I had been told the only reason things happen in your life is because God makes them happen. To me, God was why all my trauma happened, why I had to experience all I did, and I wanted nothing to do with the Bible or God. I didn't hate him. I just did not want to be a part of all this hate and anger that I was told. I drank more, did cocaine a few times with my mom and sister, and just cut everyone out of my life. This went on for about two weeks. Then one one night in all that mess, something told me to remove myself from all this. Even though I was in my own home, the home that I had, that I paid for, that I had let my sister move into, but it was my home, which by the way, was literally right next door to my parents and the house that I grew up in being abused in. I was a fucking mess. But in this mist, there's only one person that I could think of to call, and that was Tad. I didn't even, because I deleted his number, and without a thought, dialed his number. And within two seconds, he walked in the door, didn't even look at me, went to my room, packed a bag, and said, let's go. I left my sister in my house. I took my dog. I only had one dog at the time, and I left. My fight was not over by a long shot. I still drank for four more months. I did not move in for about another five or six more months. But from February till Easter that year, Tad kept getting me to try to go to church, as well as my sister Kelly, who I was jealous because she didn't have the abused life, and I kept fighting it, saying I was too broken and I could never be a child of God. Boy, was I wrong. On Easter in 2017, I attended Easter service, and my life has changed forever. I fought everything at first, but eventually I let my guards down and started to actually listen and see God. I found that I was not alone and I could still have the life I was created for. On June 15, 2017, I took my last drink. Tad gave me a choice, alcohol or the life I chose. I chose life. It has now been over three years. And since then, I have had maybe four glasses of wine. And that was actually during this quarantine alone. I am a huge believer of marijuana. I do have a medical card, and I am learning all the benefits of it. I now am off all the nine medications that I had been on for depression, anxiety, bipolar, pain medicine for the constant pain I'm in. I do not run to alcohol. I do not need to drink every last drop that I have. I have an occasional glass here and there, but I am a daily smoker and I am a advocate for anybody who wants to have the marijuana life. Both of my children now live with me and I am no longer blind to God's purpose for me. He has given me the sight to see that through that though it has been hell, I was created for this journey. I was built this strong to handle all this so I can now help others heal and share God's glory through me. That I can stand in storms and still come out bright as a rainbow. I don't have to be angry all the time and now have a better understanding of life and patience. I have moved. 
my stepmom and f- I have I have moved <laughs> and removed my stepmom and father from mine and my children's life. Have I still spoke to them? I have. But only because my children, well, my daughter, has graduated this year. And even though she knows what they have done, to her they are still her grandparents. She knows that I do not speak to them, but she also knows that their abuse was towards me. That she has not been left alone with them. And that she is 18 and can make her own decisions. That I will not belittle her for speaking to them. But she also knows that I will not voluntarily have them in my life. But I will be civil for things for her and my children. (sighs) Has it been easy? Hell no. It has been so confusing when you only know a certain way of life. And to you, it's normal to keep these people around. Especially when they call you or text you and you are that person. (coughs) Excuse me. You are that person that you hate. You, You answer people back. Because you feel that it's rude. That you're that person that when you text someone and they don't text you back, you're like, that's rude. At least acknowledge that I spoke to you. So even when the people that have hurt you in your life message you, you still feel that need to message them back because you are a better person than them. But yet you don't understand why you do that because then that just keeps that person in your life. (sighs) It has not been easy. Mentally, physically, emotionally, all the damage that has done, it is hard. But this is my story, my life. And even though I have forgiven the ones who have hurt me, well, some, that does not mean, <clears throat> that, does not mean that they need a place in my life. I fully accepted God into my life in 2018 while I went on a missions trip in Costa Rica and got baptized in the ocean while I was there. My journey with God has completely changed my life and how I live. He has given me a voice to help others, mentor others, and lead them to his glory and grace. I now have the understanding to help others and myself and know that I am never alone and that this healing journey is never ending, that every day is a new learning a new vibe, a new you. And I also know that I am never alone, that what happened to me was not my fault, but it has given me a greater understanding to help others and help others understand that forgiveness does not make it go away, that dealing with these things do not go away. That talking about your abuse does not go away. But I know that the more that I speak about this, I still have triggers. I still have things that make me realize that I'm not fully healed. Like for instance, all these riots, I did not realize how much 
abuse on black lives was a trigger for me. Because for me, having black friends and dating black boys resulted in worse, humiliating, painful abuse than on regular days. Me having a black girl abuse me and bully me through middle school and high school ended up being worse for my abuse. But here's the thing. It did not make me hate black people. It didn't even make me hate the girl that bullied me in school. Because I've learned that bully people just don't bully you for no reason. They have hate in their heart from something, from either something they've learned or they were told or that they are being abused themselves. I pray for her and I hope she has a better life. And if she has children that they never have to endure the things that I did, she may never even remember doing these things. But it does not make me hate a race because of one person. When I was punched in the face for talking to the boy that I was in love with in high school by my father, and as I'm standing there with a swollen eye, I was sent home with my parents. That boy was asked to leave, and he did nothing. I walked up to him to talk to him, and my dad called me an end lover and made a fool of himself in front of this boy and I ran and hid in the bathroom and when I came out he pulled me up slammed me against the wall and punched me in the face and told me that I was a piece of shit and then a whore and I'd never amount to anything I still have a long way to go in my healing journey but I know I was made to do this and I was made to tell my story For someone else out there who has endured these same things and for them to know that you are not alone. I know that there are professional podcasters out there and they have microphones and everything set up. I do not. I have my cell phone, my story I wrote on my tablet, and my sun porch. My name is Amanda. This is my story and my journey. And I am so glad that you are here with me. And I hope that you will continue to listen to my life. I love you. Thank you and have a great day.